If you haven't been with us uh, this Christmas season, we've been developing this idea of the best Christmas ever. Uh, if, I, if I ask you if we did a poll, how many of you want this to be the best Christmas ever? We'd all say, yes, make this the best Christmas ever. We want this to be the best Christmas ever. But then probably if we fast forwarded 12 months, we want next year to be a little bit better than this year. So that next year becomes the new best Christmas ever. And then the Christmas after that, better than that Christmas. And so that becomes the new best Christmas. So we, really what we want is we want a series of new best Christmases ever our whole life, right? And then we die. It's that, that would be the greatest thing. But it can, be, it can be hard defining what best is. Like, what is best? How do you define best Christmas ever? Is, it, is the best Christmas the one when it snowed? Um, or some of you, is the best Christmas when it was 80 degrees in Georgia? Like, that was great. I wore shorts on Christmas. That's how some people feel. Um, is, it, is it the best Christmas when everybody's home for the holidays? Like, is that the defining part of Christmas? Uh, when you hear the phrase, the best Christmas ever, does your mind go back to that Christmas when you were a kid and you got that present you really, really wanted? And like, that is what it was. That was the best Christmas Ever. It's, it's kind of hard to know. What's the criteria? How, how do we define what the best Christmas ever is? And, and for some of us, <clears throat> we've lived long enough that Christmas has changed a lot. And so there may even be the feeling of, well, it, it can't ever be the best Christmas again. You know, like when I was a kid, Christmas Eve, we went over to my grandparents' house on my mom's side, and we sat around, and the, the living room was full of people and tons of kids and cousins and nieces and nephews, and it was, that was Christmas for so much of my life, especially as a kid, and, and my grandparents have passed away. We don't do that anymore, and maybe you have traditions like that too. Like they defined Christmas for a long time, and, and they won't ever be again, and so it's, maybe it's hard to think of the best Christmas after that, or, or once the kids grow up, right? Once, once they learn all the secrets and they don't have that sparkle in their eye anymore, it's like, oh, it was the best Christmas when the kids were small, and they're not going to be small now. They're sassy and rude, and I, I, I don't even like them sometimes. <laughs> not my kids, your kids maybe. Um, or or as, I was, as I was saying, you know, my, my grandparents are are not here anymore, or like before the divorce, and now it's complicated, and then we, you know, we're here and there, and it's like all of these, all of these things that we can sometimes look at and evaluate best by. Best is really hard to determine, not, not just at Christmas, um, really kind of in life. Sometimes we say something is best, and then we live long enough to realize it's not best anymore, and probably never was best. We used to think dial-up internet was the best, right? Like, like, that was the best sound. Like, I'm about to connect to the whole world. This is incredible. I can email somebody on the other side of the place. This is so great. We thought dial-up was the best. AOL.com, right? You've got mail. That just it was the best. That was awesome. Nobody wants to go back to that. Nobody thinks that's the best anymore. We used to think it was the best. We had a computer that took up the whole desk, right? <laughs> and that was before we held a computer in the palm of our hand. Right? So now we know that's not, that's not the, the best anymore. Um, we used to think that uh, 
not wearing seatbelts was the best, right? Some of us grew up at a time before seatbelt laws, and we rode in the back of pickups doing 60 miles an hour down country highways. And that that kind of was the best, wasn't it? <laughs> we kind of like to do that again sometime. Uh, but now we know that's not safe, kids. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. You shouldn't do that. I, that's, that's, that's not the best. Um, we used to think mullet haircuts were the best. <laughs> Some of you. <clears throat> That's not me, by the way. That, uh, that is definitely a young Jonathan Long right there. Sporting the cinnamullet, as he calls it. Um, I showed that with his permission, by the way. I don't have a mullet picture. I never got a mullet. I was just way smarter than that, I think. Actually, it wasn't that I was smarter. is that my dad was a Baptist preacher, and he wouldn't let me grow my hair that long. So I, I could never get a mullet. But we did. I mean, that was the thing. You go back and look at pictures from the 80s, and, I mean, all the guys, except for me, standing there in their mullets, and that was just the coolest thing. And we don't want mullets today. And you ladies are laughing, but you thought big hair in the 80s was the best, right? Like you ordered hairspray by the case and just sprayed it, and you had this big, tall hair. Best is sometimes hard to define, and, and, and what is best sometimes comes and goes. And, and the truth is, there are things that we think are the best today that one day we're going to look back at and go, oh, that wasn't good at all. Don't show that picture. Um, that's the way best is, uh, 2,000 years ago, the very first Christmas, if we're honest, can hardly be described as the best Christmas. I mean, I know we have kind of a romantic attachment to the first Christmas. We have kind of an idealized view of the first Christmas. We, we have Christmas cards with starry nights and peaceful uh, uh, stables and manger scenes. So, so we're attached to this story. If we weren't attached to this story like we are, if we, if we hadn't romanticized this story so much, I'm telling you, you would read this story and it's like something goes wrong every line. It, it, it's almost as if, as if God decided on the first Christmas, I'm just going to put every possible obstacle in the way of it being a good Christmas. I, I, I'm going to make it so complicated that I'm going to cause there to be so many difficulties and challenges in the first Christmas. Because if you and I were allowed to write the first Christmas, we would never have written Luke 2. We would never have thought that up. If you and I got to create what it was going to look like for the God of the universe to come to the earth and take on human flesh and become a human and still be God, we would not have written what's in Luke 2. We would have changed it all around. Let's try that. Let's just go through the story and talk about what we would have changed if it had been up to us. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Like, to begin with, we would not have Jesus born under such a crazy government, like Rome's taken over the world. The culture that Jesus is born into in the first century 
is, is led by, governed by the Romans who don't care anything about God's people. Like they don't care about their culture. They don't care about their religion. They don't care about their beliefs. They care about one thing, their money, like taxes. They just wanted to tax them and tax them and tax them and oppress them. And Jesus is born into that world, that messed up political world. Not only that, Matthew tells us that the leader of the area where Jesus is born, Israel, that area, there's a guy by the name of Herod that's over that area. We've talked about Herod uh, at times in the past. Herod, Herod's a paranoid, crazy man. Like He's always afraid that somebody's going to take the throne from him, so he's always killing people. Like if he suspected that you didn't like him or that you may take the throne from him, he'd just have you killed. And he killed his brother. He killed his favorite wife, which makes you wonder what he did to his least favorite wife, right? He was afraid that she was after the throne or that she was trying to kill him, and so he killed her. This is how crazy he was. He made a list of people, good people, like respected people, really well-loved people. And he wrote all of their names down on a list, and he, he, this was his order. On the day that I die, I want all of these people executed so that there will be sufficient mourning on my, the day that I die. This is how crazy he was. And call me, call me crazy, but if I were writing the story, I would have Jesus born at some other time or some other place than the very place where a crazy person is in charge. Where the government and the, and the politics are all mixed up and all whacked. And then this whole census thing. If I'm writing the story, there's no census. I understand that maybe Bethlehem makes a better story for Mary and Joseph to be in Bethlehem, but I'm thinking they just take a vacation to Bethlehem, right? It's right before they're going to become parents. They're thinking, once we have kids, we don't get to travel as much. We don't get to go to the movies. We don't get to eat out. We don't have any money because kids are black holes that suck every... (laughs) Sorry. They're just trying to get prepared for, you know, life's about to change. It's going to get crazy. Let's Let's have some us time. Let's get away. That's what I would have done. Easy. They're on vacation in Bethlehem. The story goes on, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Translation, they weren't married yet. She's pregnant. This is causing a lot of eyes and talk and rumor. I could have fixed all of that too. Here's an easy way to fix that. God interrupts their wedding night, right? They get married. They go to the reception. They see their friends. They take pictures. They get on a camel. All their friends decorated with shaving cream. They're, walk, they're going away. And as they're leaving the wedding, God shows up and says, hey guys, we're going to do something a little bit different. Probably wouldn't have made Joseph very happy, but it could have avoided that whole talk and I and what's going on and what do you mean she's pregnant and you're not married. 
could have avoided all of that if God had simply asked me how to tell this particular story. It goes on, verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And I don't mean to be repetitive, but you take out the census storyline and there's plenty of room in Bethlehem. Vacation storyline, everybody gets a room. Everybody gets a nice room. Jesus is born indoors in a nice room. If you're committed to the census storyline, then just have Mary and Joseph get there first. Have somebody break down, donkey runs out of gas, blows a tire on the car, whatever. You're God, you can make this work, you could get them there first so that the Son of God is not born in a barn. Not born in a stable with all of the filth and the smell and the grossness. My wife started cleaning our house Thursday for a party we're having Tuesday. Some of you are doing this right now. right? You're already cleaning. People are coming over. You're already cleaning. Pick up your stuff. You're changing sheets. Don't sleep in that bed for the next week because somebody's coming. right? You're cleaning the whole vacuuming. You're mobbing. You're getting restrooms ready. You're getting everything ready because somebody's about to come over and Jesus is born in a barn. Matter of fact, if somebody complains about the shape of your house, just say, first Christmas was in a barn. Like, you got it good. You should be grateful. And I could have eliminated the barn. I could have eliminated the animals. I could have eliminated the smell and the grossness and the aroma. And then, as if it weren't bad enough, shepherds come busting in. Like on the night Jesus is born, doors open, here come shepherds, and nobody knows, nobody's ever met before. And I'm just thinking, they're shepherds. They've been out with the sheep for who knows how long, who knows the last time they've had a shower, and all of that's mixing together in the barn Not to mention what mother wants to entertain guests right after she's had her first child, right? There's a reason why they give you the no visitor sign at the hospital. Because you're not up to entertaining after giving birth to your first child. And this is the story of the first Christmas. I know, we've romanticized it. We're in love with this story. We like this story. But if you didn't know it and you read it, this is a weird story. And it is It's kind of full of mess and smells and dirt and things not happening the way you would want them to happen, being the way you would want them to be. It's full of obstacles and challenges and brokenness. And and that's why God tells it that way. I I mean, like I did, if you were given the chance to edit the story, you would edit the story. We'd clean it up. We'd mark some things out. We'd rearrange some. We'd add some things. We'd delete some things. We'd get rid of some characters. The story would be so much better, so much prettier, so much cleaner. If we could just take a red pen to the Bible and just kind of mark up how we want the story arranged. 
And in 2017, as you look at your story and as I look at my story, we probably do the same thing. I mean, if God handed us the pen of Christmas 2017, for most of us, there would be parts of this Christmas we'd rearrange a little bit. We'd mark out. We'd edit. We'd rewrite. We'd highlight. We'd underline. Can we take this out? Can we change this part? Can we delete this character? All of us would. God told us the story in this specific way because He knew there would be things about every single Christmas that we would want to change, that we would want to rearrange. He didn't give us a Hallmark movie. Anybody watch Hallmark Christmas movies? Oh, my goodness. I mean, oh, good. Um, He didn't give us a Hallmark Christmas movie. We're like perfect little scenes and everything works out, perfect characters and idyllic setting. He gave us a real story. He gave us a, a real story where people were hurt and people didn't understand and people didn't know and, and people smelled and people didn't have their act together and the good guys didn't always win. He gave us a real story. Because all of us, Christmas 2017, are living a, a real story. And yeah, in the first Christmas, there was a crazy king. And there was a census. And there was a smelly barn. But one of the greatest messages of Christmas is that Jesus came when nothing was going right. Nothing was going right. The government wasn't working right. Religion wasn't working right. People weren't behaving right. People weren't believing right. Everything was broken. Like everything was messed up. And Jesus came to that to remind us that Jesus can come to whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your family, whatever's going on in your Christmas. Jesus didn't come to a world where everything was perfect. He grows up, he becomes a man, and he begins to teach. And one of the things he teaches in Luke chapter 5, just a couple of chapters over from where we are, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I haven't come for the perfect. I haven't come for those who have their act all together. I haven't come for the perfect Christmas. I've I've come for those who are hurting and are in need and and broken and need a Savior. The reality is, if your Christmas is perfect, then this story is not for you. Like, if everything's perfect in your world, the Christmas story is not for you. If everything's going great, if you've got life handled and worked out and in control and you know how to do everything, Christmas story is not for you. The Christmas story is for those who recognize, no, I don't have it all together. I can't fix everything. I can't make everything better. For some of us, we've lived long enough, like there's things we can't go back and undo. That's what Christmas is for. The hurting, the broken, 
and the messy. Because God is able to make the best out of our mess. You talk about having the best Christmas. Well, God's able to, to make the best out of all the pieces that I bring to Christmas this year. All of the obstacles and challenges and things that didn't go the way I wanted them to go and didn't work out the way I wanted them to work out. God's able to make the best out of the mess of our lives and the mess of our Christmas. I mean, really, Jesus comes over 2,000 years ago, the first Christmas, for those who can't get it all together. He came for those who just recognize, God, I can't fix all of me. Like, I can't fix my relationship with you. I can't fix all my other relationships. I don't have everything I need. So I need you. I need you to step into my life and make the best out of my mess. Here's the thing about God's work in the mess, the first Christmas and this Christmas and every Christmas. We often don't know what God's doing in the mess. And that's kind of the hard part. Like we don't know all the details. We, we can't see behind the curtain always. We don't know how things add up and, oh, you were doing this. And, oh, and sometimes it's years later before we recognize that's what God was doing. We don't always see how he's working in the mess of our lives. Years after Jesus has uh, died and risen again and gone back to heaven, there's a guy named Paul who writes a lot of the New Testament. He writes this in Galatians chapter 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the set time had fully come. Some translations say, when the fullness of time had come. Other translations say, at just the right time. It wasn't an accident that Jesus was born when he was born or where he was born or even how he was born at just the right time, in just the right place. God revealed that he was at work behind the universe and behind all of the chaos that was going on at just the right time. All of the Old Testament, all of human history as we've looked at before, was pointing towards this moment. And there's lots of discussion, there's lots of debate over all the things that made it the right time. But God said it was just the right time for the Savior to come. And God told the story in exactly the way that he wanted to tell it. For one, all of those things that we would change, a lot of those things that we would rewrite, they're in there to give us confidence in God's word. Because for hundreds of years, the prophets have been giving us details about this birth and all of those little movements and all of those little changes and all of those obstacles and things that, we might look at the story and think mess up the story. They're, they're actually things that God had already told us was going to happen. The fact that there was a census confirmed that Jesus was going to be born from the family of David, just like had been spoken for hundreds and hundreds of years. And maybe Mary and Joseph didn't put all of that together, and the shepherd surely didn't put all of that together, and the innkeeper didn't put all of that together. But God was at work. In the mess. He told a story of 
of outsiders, Mary and Joseph. Because he knew that we would be outsiders at some point in our life. He told the story of an innkeeper's rejection because he knew we would be rejected at some point in our life. He told the story of obstacles and hurts and pain because he knew that we would face obstacles and hurt and pain. He told the story of dirt and earthiness and smell because he knew sometimes our life would feel exactly that way. You and I don't always see what God is doing in the mess, but he is always at work. He made the announcement to shepherds and invited them to come to the manger so that 2,000 years later we would be reminded this story, this message goes out to everybody who will come. Like anybody, regardless of your station in life, your socioeconomic status, regardless of how well you're known or how little you're known, regardless of how smart you are, how strong you are, how wealthy you are, this story from the very beginning went to all people and all classes and all races and all backgrounds. And the message was simple. Just come to Jesus. Just come and see. Just come and be around him in the mess. Just come and see. I think these shepherds were invited not just because they would come and see, but because they'd go and tell. The angel says it like this, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed. And what the shepherds said to them. Not just people who come and see, but people who go and tell. People whose lives in the mess will be changed and rearranged. They will discover Jesus and then they'll walk away telling other people what happened to them. How their life got changed and overturned and turned upside down. The first Christmas reminds us that regardless of the chaos in the world, Regardless of the chaos and politics and global issues and even in our lives, Jesus comes. Jesus is at work. So maybe, in some ways, we should give up on finding the best Christmas ever. And we should concentrate on finding what is good and what is from God in the Christmas that's right in front of us. Because, yeah. We would all take the marker and change our story at least a little bit. Some of us would change Christmas 2017 a lot. But maybe the goal of this Christmas is not to somehow make it the best. The goal is not to miss the one that's right in front of you. The people who are in front of you, the relationships that are right in front of you, and most of all, the Savior that is right in front of you. Because regardless of the mess, if Jesus is at the center, that's all that matters. That's all we need. The angel said it this way. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Today, Jesus has come. He's here. 
And he's come to the mess and the chaos and the obstacles and the struggles. And he's come to bring peace. And he's come to bring grace and endless amounts of love and forgiveness. There is no best Christmas apart from him. The best part of Christmas is that God has come to your world as it is, not your world as you wish it would be. He has come to your world as it is to love you, to forgive you, to wrap you in His peace, to give you His best. Let's pray. God, thank You that when we open the Bible to the first Christmas, we don't find a Hallmark movie. We find struggles and pain. We find rejection and hurt. We find outsiders. We find rich and we find poor. We find people whose lives aren't all together and perfect. And yet you are making best out of the mess. God, help us not to get so focused on all that we would change this Christmas, the parts that we would rewrite, we would edit out, we would add to. And help us to embrace Jesus in the Christmas that is this year. I prayed in His name. Amen. Jesus.